Okay, so tonight, uh, Gingy wanted to speak into a topic. At least that's where we're going to start the conversation. It's not, it doesn't really require a whole lot of conversation to get the depth of the concept. Uh, we'll call it ubiquitous assimilation. Okay, and I'll break that down real quick. Um, assimilation is being taken in, right? You're, you get taken in by something whether it's an idea, whether it's a drama, um, even in entertainment, we like to be taken in by the entertainment itself. Ubiquitous is it's everywhere. It's prevalent. It is in every aspect of our lives. And I think for tonight, the, the general idea, the concept that Jinji wants to lean into is about <clears throat> how this assimilation is occurring in all aspects of, of our lives in media. There's also what I would call factional assimilation, where people kind of put themselves into, uh, let's say, the blue camp or the red camp. And this has to do with ideological assimilation. And I'd say the biggest issues that I see with any form of assimilation is you get taken in with what to think. And this is our, our news, quote unquote, services are, uh, are notorious for this. What they do is they, they give you a set of images, right? They're, ju they're just flashing images at you. And at the same time, they're constructing a narrative to attach to the images they're being, that are being given to you. And this is, this is a form of mind control. And what this does is this has you start to, start to think certain things with regards to the imagery. Um, also notorious for this is Madison Avenue, the advertising world, right? They're selling you on the idea that you're incomplete, that you're imperfect, and that you need their bullshit to make your life better, right? If you just had that BMW, you'd get mad ass. Chicks would dig you, right? Um, if you drank Budweiser, wow, look at all the fun you would be having. So this is, this is part of the assimilation of ide ideological assimilation where they're pumping out in every facet of our society images and narratives that are kind of married together as well as our educational system. You're, they're pumping out images and narratives. Again, telling you, teaching you, assimilating you of what to think as opposed to how to think. In fact, it's all but eliminated the capa people's capacity to think for themselves because they've factionalized into camps, ideological camps, and have been assimilated by those camps. So based on their identification with what camp or faction they identify with or as, they adopt an, uh, the ideology. They've been assimilated by that faction. Okay, so that's my general breakdown of ubiquitous assimilation. And Jinji, I'll let you take it from here. Thank you, Maestro. Um, Brandon broke it down in some points that I hadn't, hadn't even really thought about yet. Um, however, I'd say probably the most specific aspects of this concept that I wanted to get into is 
about how human beings as an organism are constantly assimilating information and elements in their environment. And I mean this in quite a literal sense in which the food that we put in, we assimilate into our physical body. The information we take in, we assimilate. I mean, you, you can even take it to the, the emotional level where somebody walks in and they're having a bad day and you feel it. And maybe now you're not as happy because of this person being in a bad mood around you. Or, you know, why people get together in spiritual environments and pray together. The, the assimilation of, of information and environments is happening all the time, whether we acknowledge it or not. So the more that we hear on TV that you're not pretty unless you've got Maybelline, or that you're not cool unless you drive a Jaguar, whatever the case may be, it's... it's it's uh, Gingy, correction, you. correction. You're sophisticated if you drive a Jaguar. And you're cool. <laughs> so okay. um, the point is that no matter where you are, what you're doing, you're not isolated. You're constantly connected. That's why echo chambers are as powerful as they can be and as they are because by assimilation, by laws of assimilation, even just being exposed to the same information over and over and over will eventually solidify it in your unconscious. And we all know that unconscious is more powerful than the conscious, the waking mind. I mean, try to tell someone with an addiction or a, a habit to stop immediately. It's, they can't because it's in their subconscious. Or I don't like to call it the subconscious. I'll keep with unconscious. And so in, in understanding this, um, I think there's a lot of powerful ways that we can apply this understanding in our day-to-day -day lives, whether it's in, in conversations with people or watching commercials or who we hang out with. And, and you know, if we're not present to what's going on for us in an environment or in relationship or in conversation or or with just information that you stumble across in general or thoughts that you have they're all assimilating you and you're adapting to this these stimulus constantly so um i don't really want to get any specific examples unless anybody else has uh something that they want to touch into about this but that's the, the general concept does anybody have any questions or Brandon, clarifying points. I don't know about any clarifying points. Um, I think, uh, like I said, it's a, it's a pretty simple concept. I would say that the, let me ask you this. What results do we have individually and societally because of this? And what can we do? How can we be proactive in overcoming the negative results or the negative outcomes that are, that are, uh, that come about because of this? 
I'm trying to think of something specific. Um, I mean, you mentioned the education system earlier on. I would say that if not even just going after the information that we're exposed to in school, but things that maybe go unspoken or even peer dynamics are all factors that are assimilating people uh, through the process. And, and I won't say that they're assimilating people. I would say that we are assimilating what we're exposed to. And, and to what degree or, or how we're assimilating that information. Like for instance, if I have a, um, say an adverse belief or relationship with something, no matter what it is, and I become exposed to that, I'm assimilating that information to reinforce my relationship or belief about that thing. Um, if I'm in the mood to change a belief or change an experience or relationship, and I get exposed to that same information, I may assimilate it in a way that changes my mind about something. Could be something. No, I, okay, I think, I think you're misusing the term here as, as we've played it out. The assimilation is there is the marrying. There is this marrying of narrative or meaning. And I'll call it to, to create a clear distinction, neutral event. Okay. So okay. <clears throat> inherently, no events have any meaning, right? So we bring meaning to any particular event. Okay. So there is no inherent meaning. There is no inherent goodness or badness or anything else. We determine the meaning based on how we relate it to our individual and societal values and principles. Okay. Now the problem with assimilation is that it comes, they come married, meaning the meaning and the neutral events come to they're they're prepackaged, right? Like Budweiser makes you a fun person to be around. Jaguars make you cool and sophisticated. Okay. So this is a meaning. There is no inherent meaning in having a Jaguar. There's no inherent meaning in drinking a Budweiser. And in advertising, they're marrying the meaning with the neutral event, okay? So that's, that's where I was getting at with this assimilation is that you're being taken in by the narrative events, the, 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 the events that have been given meaning. And right now, the driving force behind meaning of neutral events is the media, right? The media is constantly flashing you images of events. What I find most interesting, if you watch like uh, on location news reporting, right? There's a news reporter, or some event has occurred, right? And there's, uh, the, there's people who've experienced this event, who've witnessed this event. More often than not, okay? The reporter isn't asking about the details and the facts of what occurred. They're asking, how did you feel about that? 
Okay. And the reason is, is that's where they're, they're getting, they're giving meaning to this neutral event, right? So if people are like, I was terrified, boom, you've now married terror to this neutral event. Okay. And of course they're going to pick and choose the people that they interview and the interviews that they broadcast because there is a certain way of thinking, a certain way of interpreting events that is beneficial towards, let's, let's call it the establishment, okay? And this takes away your capacity to think with regards to events. Because if you take that an event has the meaning that you're being told, then you're not thinking, you're not breaking it down, you're not analyzing it, you're not picking through it for facts or gauging it upon your own values and principles for meaning for the meaning you would give this event. And so what I would say to look at, <laughs> there's a negative experience. And I'm just going to leave it out there as a general term, whether you experience anxiety, depression, fear, or joy, happiness, ecstasy, excitement, you may have any of those reactions. And those reactions, those emotional reactions, are dependent upon the meaning that you give to this neutral event. And so if you're assimilated and what's coming to you is this constant stream of meaning of events that create anxiety, fear, depression, and things like that, <clears throat> the, the capacity that we have, the strength that we have is to step outside of these narratives and be able to look at objectively an event and give it a meaning that will, that will affect us in a positive way. Because when we start to experience fear, depression, anxiety, that those are obstacles that hold us back and keep us from experiencing any kind of power with our lives. So it's a, it becomes a, an obstacle to your own development, an obstacle to your own transcendence. So there's this, this way of getting yourself outside of the, the married event and meaning separating them and being able to look at an event as neutral and then gauge a meaning that is purposeful, that aligns with your principles, values, things like that, as opposed to being assimilated ideologically by this means this, okay? This event occurs, this is the meaning the, the event has. And that will, that's, that's driving society right now. And like I said, it's factionalized in the sense that you take one event and one faction gives it one meaning and another faction gives it a completely different meaning. And they're both reacting negatively to the meaning that they're giving these events, right? So for the, that's, the, that's the pulling yourself out of the assimilation, right? Assimilation is just being taken in by the narrative slash event.
So wouldn't that be the assimilation of meaning? And if so, the, the immediate question that I have about that is what happens if you hold no belief about an event and somebody's giving you the belief or the meaning of the event? What gets assimilated? Nothing. <laughs> it's, just, it's just an event. What is there to assimilate? Until you've married a narrative to it and there's emotion involved, there is no assimilation. There's no embodiment of a completely okay, so, neutral event. So, what, so what I'm think like, that is like for instance, if a spider is walking across my kitchen floor, I give that a meaning. <laughs> and I react negatively. Right. So there is this there is this experience that I'm gonna have with spider, especially if it's one of those big ones, you know. Um walking across my kitchen floor and I'm going to have this negative reaction because I've already married the, the meaning of that event with I've embodied it. And it's, and, and it would take, <laughs> it would take me a lot of work to really separate the meaning I give to spiders in my house. Right. Um, so the, the real point that I'm getting at here is, how do we create our own meaning when we're constantly being fed meaning? So I don't, it, I don't mean to speak out of line. I, I thought it was easier. So first, I think a, a big part of it is worldview, right? And like your different lenses that, that you view the world through. Obviously, back to what you were saying, Brandon, about on um, in the media, if you're seeing this and, you know, a neutral event um, and, you know, depending upon your worldviews is how you're going to ingest or react to said neutral event, regardless of anything else that happens. Two, you know, the, um, the interviews with other people, how do you feel? How did it make you feel? What was your reaction? That is in itself what we, you know, see so much in our fake media and all this anymore, sensationalism based on sensations right like generating these feelings and i think um Gingy, to your question the, the way that you're able to form opinions you need to have an awareness of those things an awareness of yourself of how you know what is your worldview i've heard the two of you speak um about like the different layers the different lenses through which we you know perceive and interact with, with our world, whatever, um, an awareness of that, and also being able to stop and like remove yourself from a situation and not get sucked into the sensationalism, um, the narratives being created to say, okay, stop, let me step outside of this and look at it from all angles. Sorry. It's, it's, it's as simple as dividing meaning from event all events are neutral and when i say event that's any happening in the world happenings right those are events any kind of a happening is an event and inherently it has no meaning okay so when you're able to separate that all events are neutral now uh, does that mean that you appreciate all events? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean that there aren't events that occur that could be dangerous to your well-being? No, it doesn't mean that either. It just means it inherently has no meaning. 
Because to, to give it the meaning of even this is a dangerous event, well, that also brings in the meaning that you have of the, of the need and the necessity for you to go on living, right? And again, I'm not saying that you shouldn't, <laughs> but what well, I'm right, saying is because... there is no inherent meaning or uh, and there is no in inherent meaning itself. in whether it's or not reaction. you should continue living, right? right. That's it's something we, we have our individual values, we have our societal values, and we have our principles, and that's where the value for living comes from. So that's that's, a dis that's distinct and different from any event, right? The values are distinct. And when you're able to dissect events in that way, well, then you, you're not being taken in. You're not being assimilated. Because that's the, the taking in. You, you can't be taken in if you view the event as completely neutral. Just like if you went to a play, okay? And let's say it's a comedy. Right or a drama. Now, if you're just if you sit there in a completely neutral space, there is no entertainment happening because you're not being taken in by the drama or the comedy. So the, the it's the being taken in by entertainment that makes it entertaining. Right, right. You know, Engaging. if you're not taken well. in by it, then it's not entertaining. Right. But that's not so. It's again, it's not a bad quote unquote, bad thing to be taken in by an event. But when you have an awareness and you're it's mindful exactly. that there is no inherent meaning and you can right. separate the me any meaning from any event, well, now you can begin to critically think and dissect the event in a way that will have you come to your own conclusions about the event as opposed to being assimilated by a narrative right like kind of like the example that came to mind um was my daughter was in a little bit of a scuffle yesterday um with her scooter an accident and when these things happen with her not entirely unusual she's a wild seven-year-old girl um, gets banged up quite a bit from time to time. I always react, like off the charts react. My very good friend, thankfully, who lives next door and her husband is a first responder, who I typically call them if they're not actually involved or around when these things happen. Much different, okay, for any number of reasons. But they are very calm. They react in a much different way. Again, it has to do with their worldview, their professional, you know, schooling and all this, right? First responders. Um, it's how you react, but it's being able to remove yourself from the situation and then assess how to act appropriately, right? Like with this example, I would be a much happier person <laughs> if every time she got a scratch, I didn't like go completely off the charts, for example. That's right. So really for me, the, what's going on here is we're identifying the source of the meaning. It's not that meaning doesn't exist. It's that it comes from us. And the way that I've actually explained this to coaching clients 
in the past to really drive it home is that in the moment, as the event is happening, there is no meaning to it. Even if it's a millisecond later, we look back on it in hindsight and assign a meaning. Even if you're saying, wow, this is terrifying, you're basing it off of your experience one millisecond ago, one moment before that, saying this has been scary, it's still scary, I'm labeling this as scary. There is no saying right now what we're doing is a certain way or has a certain meaning. So it always has to be in hindsight. So that's what Brandon is saying about the, the event not having any inherent meaning. It doesn't hold it or create it within itself. We ascribe our experience and project it over the top of the event. And now there's a neutral event on top of our meaning. And you know, one event can have several different meanings. You can have two people go to the same concert and one had a great time and one had a terrible time. You can have two twins jumping out of the exact same helicopter and one had a great time, one was terrified. It really depends on the meaning that the individual ascribes to it. So yeah, that's, my, that's my alternative word for human beings, or I should say phrase, is meaning-making machines, the triple M. Mm. So, Brandon, you keep saying that you are being assimilated or in order to separate or unmarry the, the meaning from the event, you can effectively, you know, not be assimilated or something. And right. where I've been coming from with this is, is in the full responsibility framework of we are the ones assimilating what we're exposed to or assimilating our own experiences, our own meanings to these events. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit into the, the distinction or the difference between those, because I'm not quite sure what you mean by we're being assimilated. Does it mean we're... Well, you've, you've already been, let, let's call it programming, okay? You've got a lifetime of programming that goes along with your assimilation of any event narrative, okay? So what do I mean by that? You've, you've been assimilated over and over and over again that there are, that this type of event means this thing, right? And so it, it, as this occurs over and over and over again, you may call it giving it your own meaning, but you giving it meaning is learned, is programmed into you. So even though you think it, the origin of this meaning that you give an event is you, I beg to differ because there's a lifetime of programming that goes into your meaning that you give anything. It is not independent of your culture, your society, and it is definitely not independent of media and the programming that has been coming out of media since its inception. So there is this programming that's been occurring that's been programming you to give events of a certain kind a set meaning. And so that's, that the assimilation has already occurred. And as new events occur, you, you, the assimilation is that you take the, let's, let's call it the, the meaning that you've been programmed with 
Okay, so that's why it's about you question you question the meaning that you give an event. Because without questioning the meaning you give an event, you're not questioning your programming. And the programming is out there. We can claim that we haven't been programmed, but the reality is you've been inundated. You've been surrounded by it. You've been drowning in it your entire life. So unless you've been living by yourself in the woods with absolutely zero access, no internet access, no television, no radio, then maybe <laughs> your meaning that you give events is independent. However, most of the people here on Telegram are not independent of the world around them. They're constantly being programmed or assimilated by these problem action solution type scenarios where it's event occurs, meaning is given, reaction is had, right? So you- They wouldn't be here. <laughs> right, right. Really? You wouldn't be on right. Telegram because there were, there, you wouldn't have technology. Um, but it's that, that assimilation has been occurring for a lifetime. So that's why it's so important to start to divide meaning from all events. Because this is how, this is a practice and an exercise in getting at the roots of your worldview and getting at that, you know, starting to actually see the lens itself as opposed to interpreting everything through the lens, right? So I call worldview a lens and you interpret reality through that lens. So everything that comes through the lens, your worldview is skewed by this programming. And so when you start to divide meaning from events, you can start to dissect your worldview and you can start to see the lens itself. It's like you pull the lens far enough away that you can actually focus on the lens as opposed to always interpreting and filtering everything through the lens because that's what the lens is doing. The lens brings together events and meaning. That's what it's focusing in. When it comes through the lens, the event and the meaning are already married together. That's a great point. I mean, I'd never thought about where my, my meanings have come from. The things that I saw, I mean, I always thought I made them up in the moment, but really, like even when I smile back at a stranger, when they smile at me, that's not, it's not of my own choice. That's something I have assimilated and something that I have learned and practiced and habitualized over the course of my life. There are people that when they get smiled at, they don't respond at all, or they stick out their tongue, or they give them a frowny face, or they just go with the good old resting bitch face. And or they roll their eyes. I like the rolling yeah. the eyes. That's my favorite. <laughs> there's, there's any way to respond to anything like that, and, and I haven't really... I guess not in a while gotten deep into, into that, but I, I still have a question. Why, in what you're saying, I feel like you can't assimilate information or is there always meaning attached to it in the assimilation process? Now, I say no, information well, is like there, there's, it's meaning. If, if you're, you, you, you tend to give meaning to information or else it, it or else it's not assimilated. 
like it's without meaning it has no it has no uh significance it has no importance so there is no assimilation of it so it it, it had you when you assimilate it you've given it meaning well like it's taking one plus data one equals two. right well it's taking data and then creating from it information Right. Yeah. Raw, there, raw data. Well, I, it, it, whether you, you call it data, data, whether you call it information, the distinction is information without meaning will not, will, you won't stick. You know what I mean? Um, like even if like someone tells you their age, right? If that's a significant data point for you, that you will assimilate that information. If there's meaning that goes along with that concept age, right? Which as a human being, concept age, right? Has meaning, right? We have young, old, you know, we have middle-aged, right? So we have all this meaning that we attribute to a but, number. But, but the number but in and of itself again. has no meaning has is not assimilated unless you attach meaning like age to the number right which can which is directly affected by worldview right because depending on what type of culture you live in you know what i mean well and it goes it goes beyond culture because even like let's say you're 19 years old right you're 19 years old and and you, and somebody in and you ask me, well, how old are you? Hold age, on. Right? And you ask yeah. someone how old they are, and they say, well, I'm fifty. That nineteen-year-old is like, oh my god, you're so fucking old, right? So, but to a fifty-five-year-old, or a sixty-year-old, or a sixty-five-year-old, they're like, oh man, fifty. I remember fifty. That's young, right? Um, I had somebody call me a youngster two or three years ago. And I'm like, well, uh, you know, I ain't no youngster, but in his eyes, right through his lens, right. because he was in his sixties, he saw someone in their mid forties as a youngster, you know? So again, it's, th this is something that's, that is, it is definitely that lens, but there is, again, the number is just a number has no meaning is not assimilated until you attach meaning and age is a meaning that we attach to numbers like if somebody were to tell you i'm 325 years old you're gonna shit your pants and you're gonna be like what like you know like that's that because the meaning of that the meaning of a 325 year old blows your reality out of perspective right it 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 becomes it, it becomes disruptive to your worldview because of the meaning you've attached to age 325. So it's as if the, the fact, the data or the information is almost unusable unless we attach it to some type of meaning. Like to, to give somebody a metric, oh, I'm, I'm 300 Earth years or Mars years or whatever. And you're like, okay, I've, you look 30 to me. I don't know exactly what that means but it looks like you're in the middle. And they try to then attach that to their interpretation, understanding of age. How far are you through the life cycle? 
when will your body, you know, when did it go through puberty? When is it going to start right. breaking down? When are you going to, you know, Are you need talking assistance? chronological age or are you talking experiential age? Like, do you um, know what I mean? Like I've experienced how, you know, however many rotations around. Yeah, okay. You now know you I mean? guys see what you're doing, right? You guys are doing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> But do you know what I mean? Like, or are you talking about like the experiences of? No, I'm, and, I'm specifically... and how do you define that? I mean, that that also comes from your role view. I'm I'm speaking more so into data, just just ones and zeros or whatever it is, has no practical application or use until we've ascribed it to something that does, like the life cycle or like connecting it to to something else that that either explains a belief that we have about the world or our lives or our experience in some way or that fits into the model that we have or it's completely outside the realm of what we know and it blows apart our worldview but unless we can connect it to our worldview it's almost irrelevant as if somebody is walking by you speaking an entirely different language you've never heard before. It's like they're not even from planet Earth type of language. You, have, you can't do anything with that until you can start connecting and relating it to what you know about language. Or what you know about their intention in speaking the language and relating it to yourself, it, it's unusable. So I see what you're being, Brandon, about needing the assimilation process. You can't assimilate what you can't relate to. Right. You can't really, it, that the assimilation is bringing together meaning with event. I'm just going to call it neutral event. A number is a neutral event. Okay. So there's very little that doesn't fall into my category, neutral event. The only, I would say the only thing that is outside of neutral event is the perspective of consciousness and, the, and meaning. Okay. Now that doesn't mean like you, Gingy, are a neutral event in my world, but you're not a neutral event in your world. You are the per, you are the point of perspective. You are the point of consciousness. You are the you are the meaning making machine <laughs> in your world. So you experience neutral events, right? You're the phenomenon as opposed to the phenomena. Right, the phenomenon is that which is the is experiencing the phenomena. So that it, we could divide the world into two things: phenomenon and phenomenon. And so, phenomenon is phenomena are neutral events. Phenomena are those experiencing. You lost me. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, now I don't know what you mean. About Say back to me. Phenomenon. Say back to me what I just said. Yeah, I can't do it. So phenom phenomenon versus phenomena, phenomena. plural. Phenomena plural. I better write this shit down. Okay. I, I, okay, don't get caught up in the words. It's events. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. I'm saying very little. The neutral event versus falls. experiencing said neutral event and reacting to it or prescribing a certain lens to it. Okay, look, 
it's this it's this easy everything is neutral events except that which is experiencing the neutral events that's what i just said <laughs> that's literally what i just said it's a neutral events whatever phenomena phenomena whatever you want to call it <laughs> or person something someone experiencing reacting to neutral events through whatever but, lens but your you reacting to an event from my perspective is a phenomenon is an event in itself because i'm i'm not having your experience right you're having your own okay. experience right so there's three things there's the event yours mine whomever else right like it's yeah no event is is just they're just That's neutral events saying. everything there's... is neutral events <laughs> right <laughs> right i had to google nominon and it says it's poised it's a poised object or event that exists independently of human sense and or perception i'm picking up what you're putting down and phenomenon is exclusively the experience right like that's what that's why we call this phenomenosophy the wisdom of experience Yep, an observable fact or event. An object or aspect known through the senses rather than by thought or intuition. Cool. Well, I learned so. Yeah, and, and again, let's let's boil it down to what's usable here, you know, because there's a lot of mental masturbation happening here what's useful is dissecting events for meaning and by utilizing that as a practice you can begin to deconstruct your own worldview and deprogram yourself of what society has society and media culture has programmed you for So assimilation we can define as the merging or the marrying of event and meaning. And it could be uh, a neutral event and my meaning and somebody else's meaning coming together. It doesn't have to just be one meaning and one event. It could be multiple meanings coming together to assimilate into a new understanding. So it's the coming together of meaning and event right without but that, there is no yeah so yeah well yeah and if we look at the root of again where we started the conversation which assimilation being taken in are you being taken in by your programming by the ideologies of others by meaning attributed to things by others or are you thinking constructing, building a meaning of your own for events. 
because again, it's right now there's again this huge polarization, right? This this factionalization of society where people are buying in, right? They're being taken in, they're being assimilated by a faction. And actually, Brandon, this goes back to one of the first questions that I threw out there that we didn't really touch on, which was, if you don't hold a meaning about a neutral event at all, are you susceptible to somebody else's meaning? Like, basically, I see a commercial for Jaguar, and it said, you know, be sophisticated or don't own a Jaguar. Now, all of a sudden, I've got the meaning and the association with the event of owning a Jaguar that now means I'm sophisticated or not sophisticated. Now I've attached that meaning to it. I'm assimilating. Now, well, okay. So it, it depends on your individual approach to events, to neutral events. As you practice this, okay, what we've talked about, the practice of, of recognizing the event is neutral, thinking, engaging the event in a way that is empowering for yourself, and constructing a meaning that aligns or is in integrity with your values and principles and that empowers you as an individual. So that is, if that's your approach, all events should be meaningless when you, when you encounter them. Okay. Now, if all you had, like, let, let's say the Jaguar commercial, like, as you know, some of them, like, as uh, are just like, let's say, just the car. It's just a car. All you see is a car driving down the road, right? But there's that guy with the English accent speaking in the background. That is the insidious part about it, just like the broadcast news, right? They're flashing the images of an event. The insidious part is the narrative. They're sneaking in with it, right? So if you, if let's say you muted the Jaguar commercial and all it is, is a car driving down the road, <laughs> what meaning can you construct about that event? You see, what the problem is, is that you're, you're being inundated with events that have been given meaning that have been attached to meaning and you've had a lifetime of programming through public education and other things that have programmed your the the response the programmed your the meaning that you give events okay so uh, an event inherently has no meaning so to suggest that you're prone to someone else's meaning, I think is is uh, it's kind of the wrong way of looking at it because no meaning has an event. Well, You're prone to other people's meaning if you fail to perceive, if you fail to analyze the event as a neutral event. If you if you fail to see it that way, then yes, you can be taken in by a narrative. Because if you, if you have the belief that it has inherent meaning, which is where most people are at, most people are in a place 
where they have not made a distinction between events and meaning. And from, from their perspective, all meanings have, or all events have an inherent meaning. And so they tune into the news to make sure they know all the meanings of all the events going on. And so that's where they get it. They've been, I mean, literally you've been programmed to get your meaning from others, to get it from the newspaper, to get it from the news, to get it from television shows, to get it from movies, right? To get it from music, right? That's like exactly how what much we're talking about. music is selling people on the idea and concept that they aren't whole without another. I could probably list out tens of thousands of songs where <laughs> oh, I'm a piece of shit loser without you. I mean, that's the general consensus of most pop music. 99% of love songs. <laughs> you know, so that again, there it's being alone has been given a meaning, has been programmed people with a meaning, right? You need something outside of yourself to, to be whole, to be complete, right? And so you, and you've been sold on this in every aspect of our society. They're constantly taking you in with the idea that you are imperfect, you are incomplete, you are broken, and you need their bullshit products, you need other people, you need their Definitely. music, you, you know, and so that's the, that's the meaning. And people actually look for meaning from those things because they don't, they don't have the capacity anymore to think for themselves. That was beaten out of them at like six or seven years old. And that was my question. If, if you're not thinking for yourself, how easy is it for somebody else to do the thinking for you, for you to get your meaning and your thoughts from a third party? Like, if you don't govern yourself, you will be governed. It's almost like Absolutely. a maxim of living on this planet. And that's wrong yeah. line. So everybody wants to be, uh, you know, herded like sheep. What's the problem with it? Wait, say that again, Ryan. You're really quiet. I said everybody wants to be herded like sheep. What's the problem with it? Isn't that the idea? Isn't that free will? That you just do what you're told because that's what you choose? Is that what you Absolutely. choose? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, people are choosing it, but they're not even clear that there's a distinction there. Yeah, they so don't you're bringing, think. You're bringing a much they, deeper context to get people thinking. That's the point of the, the conversation. It's giving another layer of context break down um, it sounds like someone was saying they were coming from a victim state sorry yeah. I can barely it, hear him is that just me yeah yeah oh, is no it, he's is it my he's, microphone yeah you're really low is your volume's better? really low not really you might want to disconnect and reconnect it. yeah it's like you're in the back seat of the minivan bro any better <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's a lot better. <laughs> oh, it is. Okay, yeah, I disconnected and reconnected. So people want to be sheep. So what? Now what? <laughs> yeah, no, that, no, I'm, that's I'm, fine. That's fine, but it's not a conscious choice for most sheep. They have, they've lost the capacity to think for themselves. Okay, and there's nothing necessarily wrong or bad. From my perspective, it's a neutral event. However, so also from my perspective, based on my values and principles, it's not good for our society 
for everyone to be mindless robots. Okay. So if I want to see a world that is functional for my grandchildren, well then having mindless robots everywhere, making up a majority of the population does not align with my values and principles. So this is what, so what do I do about it? I'm doing this. I'm doing a telegram call <laughs> where I can help to get out information so that people can share information. So people can start to bring people out of their sheepness, out of their robotness and into thinking for themselves. So by, again, this is just a practice. This is a tool, right? Of distinguishing, separating event from meaning. And this will get, this will open up the possibility for people to start critically thinking for themselves again. And, and to be clear, it's not the, I mean, the mindless robots are enough of a, a danger to themselves and others, but it is, there, it doesn't stay a vacuum, right? Like it fills in with, and actually the mindless robots are a good construct of, right? Those who want to create or cause assimilation for their insidious, to use your favorite term, it always makes me giggle a little bit, um, for their insidious reasons, right? Like exactly what is happening in our country now. But why are we using, what's the word insidious? I think that's a meaning. It is. It absolutely is. And what it points to is motive, right? So there is motivation to actually have people be sheep because they will mindlessly go to the slaughter without resistance, right? So there is motive and there is reason to take away people's capacity to think. And, and Ryan, so, uh, the actual definition of insidious is to have a gradual and cumulative effect. So, and, and usually of a damaging type of effect. It's usually not, it's not like the insidious benefits of love. No, it's not usually the context it's used in, although it can apply. Well, where did everybody's instincts go? What do you mean? Well, okay, we'll get to the point of where we're talking about conformity, which is a phase of human development. And there's a majority of the people who are conform are stuck in conformity. But where did all their instincts go? Brainwashing, man. That's, that's <laughs> Assimilation. Is it, well, it's, I, not I, that they've, it's not that they've gone anywhere. Everybody still has these instincts. And I'm sure experienced them to a more or less degree. However, are they listening to them? No, they, it, they, they absolutely are. In fact, they're being, their instincts are being used against them. People have a fear of not belonging. People have a fear of not being accepted. People have a fear of being wrong. Okay? All these fears are being capitalized upon. Th those fears are instinctual. Okay? So it's not that they don't have them. In fact, their instincts are being used against them either by their own device or devices or by the devices of others. 
but it is there is an instinctual there is this is very much happening at an instinctual level at a primal level because that's why advertising is so effective is because it's playing to humanity at a primal level right your need to look good your need to be right your need to be accepted those are all being played on in advertising and more than advertising i'd say pretty much everywhere i mean even in conversation with your friends it happens at every level of human interaction Based on your values, that I'm here. Or this is this is just my question. It's not. You want people to wake up and become consciously aware. It's not that we're being controlled. It's that we're completely incompetent and we're not waking up. We're not waking up. We're not aware of ourselves. I mean. I remember talking, listening to you talk about, I don't know, six, seven years ago, and you said you don't put the radio on when you're in the car. Well, if you don't put the radio on when you're in the car, then you're with yourself, and then you get to know yourself. I mean, I, I would assume that was one of your purposes. I mean, if you want to speak on it from your own perspective, I'm fine with that. But all this white noise, oh, I don't care if it's the radio, I don't care if it's the dirty electricity, I don't care if it's the improper lighting. Uh, you know, not going outside and being in the sunlight. All these things are distracting us from who we are. It's not just the fact that someone else has an agenda. It's the fact is, I don't even know if we know what's real or what's important. Because we're so consumed with this expansion of technology and this expansion of ideas and this expansion of thoughts and this expansion of just all this new wonders in life that we forgot where our feet are. Or where you know walking on the grass barefoot, or being outside with your shirt off, or staring at the sun. We forgot what's important. I I don't really think that we're victims. I think we're at fault, and I think it's our job well, to wake up. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go a step further and say that you're not at fault, but you are responsible. I, no I one is a victim yes, in my yes, perspective, sure. and but no one's at fault, but they are responsible okay so everyone has responsibility for where they're at and sure. that's again that's I'm, I'm that's why we're having this conversation i'm giving you tools distinctions that can support you in bringing people out of that to having them realize their responsibility because i would like to i'd like to honor that and acknowledge that thank you yeah and and it's not it it it's not required of you, <laughs> but as again, I do it because based on my values, based on my principles, it's better for our society to have people be awake and responsible well, it, because if they're asleep and victims, bad things can come about, you know, society can go wrong <laughs> and and we're seeing it. We're seeing all the writings on the wall of where victim mentality will take this country, right? And it's not something that I 
would prefer. <laughs> so I'm going to do what I can to counteract that, right? Again, not that anyone's not responsible for what they've created and what they have. They absolutely are. But they don't know it. <laughs> yes. And, 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 and in my perspective, from my perspective, it sounds like you're the adult in the room. And that's greatly appreciated and seen. And when you're, when I, at least from my perspective, when I hear you speak, I hear speaking as someone who's awake. And what I hear is you speaking that you want others to be awake with you because you care. Absolutely. Yeah. For not just yourself, but for your legacy, for your future of our children, because we don't want our children to fall asleep. We want them to come out awake and we want them to stay awake. And realistically, these conversations are not about getting people to do anything. These conversations are about explaining what's going on, explaining the dynamics at play so people can effectively navigate with choice. If you don't know the difference between the event and the meaning or the narrative that you subscribe to it, then you cannot effectively navigate that distinction. The differences between those. If you do, you understand that there's a difference between the event and what you assign the meaning to, then you can effectively assign a meaning or at least be present with the event for what it is instead of automatically overlaying some other interpretation. So it's about something, a distinction, a tool that is empowering if you so choose to use it. Hey, I wanted to add something to that when you guys were talking about the mutual event and um, people being responsible. Um, what if one's knowledge and experience, um, like I think Brandon was talking about, like people being asleep and waking people up, um, with one person being uh, responsible for their lives, what if they're not exposed or knowledgeable of certain things that someone who's awake is? And you would say that they're responsible for their lives, but if they're asleep, how responsible are they? 100%. 100% responsible because they're responsible for their state of consciousness and their alertness and their presence to what's around them. Now, and this is because it, and it, I interpret the world through that by that which is the most empowering to people. Because to me, that's the most positive way that people can create meaningful change for themselves and their lives is through the realization that they have power to do so. So if I'm to say, oh, yeah, well, they're all victims. Well, then what I'm, what I'm saying is they, there's nothing they can do about it. That for them, they're victims. Good luck, and that's not. And I don't believe in that. I believe everyone has that power within them, and so be, because everyone has that power within them, they're all responsible. Now, whether or not they're mindful or conscious of what they've created for themselves, that's another matter. But it doesn't take away responsibility. They still one hundred percent have responsibility for the way they perceive, the results they've created, 
and the lens through which they interpret the world. They're 100% responsible for all of those things, which makes up the totality of your experience here on the planet. Right? Nobody else so, right, exactly. So everyone, everyone has responsibility. And why? Because everyone has power. That's where power comes from responsibility that's why they're selling everyone on being a victim what a great way to enslave the population when you can make everyone believe they are a victim well then they have no power if they have no power they have no responsibility. They are slaves. So it's that simple. You know, it, it, it's funny. I, lo I love this because I'll tell you, the more free that I become, the more responsibility I have. It's unbelievable. You just, you know, it just keeps coming to you because you can actually handle it where others you know are in a different place where they just either they don't have capacity or they choose not to have capacity I invite it's, everybody on this call to, to to try try this out for a day a week a month a year whatever your choice is um, in in every experience that you have ask yourself if I was 100% responsible for everything I've just experienced, how did I create this? Or if I'm 100% responsible, why did I create this? And in those two questions, you'll find some amazing, amazing insights. Not that there's any right or wrong answers, but in that question, there's power and opportunity. Well, in those questions, there's power and opportunity. Where does capacity come in? What do you mean by capacity? Well, you know, my five-year-old has a certain amount of capacity. The ability and to I, hold a charge? And I have a lot more capacity. So you, define it for me without using the word capacity. Uh, define it without using the word capacity. The ability to accomplish. The ability to solve the ability to create the ability to let, see let clearly me it, let me yeah let me let me put it in in simple terms impairment there is an impairment to capacity like a child is impaired with you know <laughs> relatively speaking with regards to an adult when it comes to comprehending what is happening around them and their capacity to be responsible for what's happening around them. Now they are still responsible for their experience, but they they have it. There have there's an impairment there because of their lack of world experience and their lack of even comprehension. Can I have this conversation with a five year old and then get it? Maybe few, if any. Um, but there are full blown adults who also have impairment, where their capacity to think. You know, like what seems may seem like a simple concept, like 
divining meaning from a neutral event, like we've been discussing, that may come simple to some, it may come simple to most, but there are those with impairments to their capacity to think that, that they can't go anywhere with that. Okay. And I'm not speaking necessarily of them, right? Um, there will always be elements within our society that require our care, right? Um, children require our care. That's why they're not independent of us until they're 18 um, because they're impaired. And there are adults, full-blown adults, middle-aged adults, elderly who are impaired. They just don't have the capacity. That's the type, that's the capacity he's speaking of is the capacity, uh, the lack of capacity is a lack of responsibility, which is also a lack of power. And that's why we care for people within our community. It's why we care for children. It's why we care for those who are impaired because they do have a lack of power and a lack of responsibility. The uh, connection between power and responsibility is huge. I feel like, and part of this and tying it in as well as this thing with applying meaning to things that happen, which also I think can go both ways with either holding onto the, the power that we have or giving it away based on our, uh, you know, whether we're appropriately applying meaning or, or not. And I guess just like one of the things that helped me a lot um, at times where I was getting, uh, I guess I was getting hurt by things that were happening and feeling, um, uh, yeah, like unsupported, you know, many different emotional things going on just to based on people breaking agreements, basically, in working. And once I took the, uh, that whole kind of victim thing where I'm feeling like, oh, they don't, they don't recognize, they don't, they're not, um, they're not giving as much as I am, whatever sort of stories. And I realized that they were, whenever I did that and then became the victim because, you know, they did something, whatever, they didn't show up when they said they would, they didn't do what they said they would do. And I'm feeling all victimized. I'm the only one who cares, blah, blah, blah. Once I took back and just took ultimate responsibility and said, I misplaced my trust and I'm the one who, you know, messed up or whatever, uh, my power came back and it was just so, uh, I guess, kind of surprising almost how that worked where it was very challenging to do that at first, to be like, even if they totally bailed just because like they're not that trustworthy, it's actually my responsibility. Um, it was hard at first, but it's so much better. And like, anyway, it's just coming up for me in this conversation. Excellent. Point. Yeah. yeah, that's actually a fairly wild, you know, um, concept in that we each hold the space for each other and so when i as an example tell a story like my mom always complains let's just say 
my mom always complains. She always thinks she's confused, whatever. I'm telling that story. It starts to make bigger the space for mom to show up as a complainer. And so I did this little experiment with myself <laughs> um, this summer is I decided to stop telling, like only speaking about people how I wanted them to show up um, for one. And then the other thing is somebody had said like, love thy neighbor as thyself kind of concept, but that to like to speak about everyone, how I would like them to be speaking about me. So I wouldn't want people to say, oh, you're always whining or <laughs> you're, you're not responsible or whatever it is, or, or you never have enough money or whatever it is. So I started again, changing the words and noticing how I was um, speaking about people. And I also wrote down for a couple of the people, a new story to tell. <laughs> and it does change things pretty rapidly. So that's always pretty cool. Absolutely. You're, you're inviting them. I always use that phrase, inviting them into the possibilities. Um, You're you a definitely, new where, where you hold people definitely affects them. So if you hold them to be idiots and incapable and whatever else, then that's exactly what you're leaving open the possibility. And that's actually, I guess I could speak into this with regards to Michael's comments as well, in that you know, it, rather than being the victim of others not being as great as you are, right? <laughs> there's, there's an invitation for others to be accountable and responsible. You know, like being, being communicative, like actually communicating like, hey, when y'all promise to be somewhere at a certain time and you're not there, I lose trust in you. Right. So actually communicating that to people, holding them accountable is also holding them responsible, which is also empowering them. We tend to avoid confronting people. And if it's someone who's a friend and that's not that big a deal, that could be a powerful kind of an experience where you're just like calling them out. Like, hey, man. You're gonna, if you say you're going to be somewhere at a certain time, be there. Because then they'll start to hold themselves accountable, which means they'll start to live into responsibility, which is it could eventually lead to them having more power in their lives. And, and a step more than that is you're holding yourself responsible because if you're silent, you're in agreement. If someone has a behavior that affects you in a way that you don't agree with and you acquiesce to it, you're in agreement. If someone comes and takes all your stuff and you say, and you don't say anything, you're in agreement. Absolutely. You know, it, it's true that it works. Like during, during that exact time period, and even someone who is more of a, a close friend of mine, I started over, it took months, but she 
would be late. And this wasn't really who I was even talking about, but she'd be like 10, 15 minutes late. But she said she'd been chronically late for her whole life. That's how her mother was, whatever. I worked on her for like a month and a half, just encouraging her to understand what's going on. And, and she completely changed it. And then was suddenly just 15 minutes early. And it only took six, you know, maybe, maybe even less than six weeks, but it's like, that was her life's pattern for 40 some odd years. And just through like, it's amazing that these patterns really can change in that, you know, like within a month that you lived for decades. Um, It's profound. Yeah. And Michael, I've actually had a similar experience with people, I'll say, assimilating to my way of being, where they'll be like, oh, I better eat healthy, Gingy's around. Or I better be on time, Gingy's going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden, people are living to a higher standard just because of you know our relationship. And that's not me actually ever you know, actively reaching out and saying, hey, you know, I'm losing trust in you or, or you're always late or, you know, you know, engaging with them at that level somehow. It's simply by me showing up in my values and staying true to myself and being in integrity with my word that has other people notice because it is a rarity, at least in this country right now. And when somebody shows up completely in integrity, who's well-read, who knows where they're coming from, what they stand for, that they know these distinctions we speak into, that is a powerful force that you feel from across the room, whether or not you've even met the person before. So these aren't just like philosophical mental masturbation points. If these are effectively applied in life, they dramatically increase the power of an individual and, and to levels that you know, I'm not even clear I've ever experienced. I've, I've seen some people who to go there and touch those spaces and it's inspiring but to be there all the time to have that be the automatic the default i'm like i can't even imagine what that human being like that would be well just imagine it'll happen so i challenge you genji to change your language (laughs) Because you have the power, dude. I've seen it. You're pretty amazing. And I've I want to make myself. To mean... And, and I'm gonna. Say, I want to. I want to be better for you. I see you. Well, I appreciate that. And it's not that I've never been there myself. I've, in fact, I've been able to maintain that for long periods of time but never had it really truly become something that I've never had to think about. The embodiment and the mastery of these principles takes time and dedication. It takes consistent practice in order to embody it. And that's what I'm speaking into. There are very few people I've met on this planet that truly embody these things, and they're not just in the practice of it. Does that make sense? I think that most people are practicing, but again, I don't know who just said that challenged you um, in the languaging to like the comment that it, it, it's going to be hard. Like Wayne, Wayne Dyer wrote a book like 17 
biggest excuses, excuses be gone was the name of the book. And one of them is it's going to be hard and, you know, or it's going to take dedication or whatever the story is. Um, basically I, I like to <laughs> going back a little bit in the conversation. I like people, I like having, I have so much fun being self-governing and being more relaxed about things and playing because I like to play and, and I want to teach people that they too can be free and playful <laughs> because then I have more play partners. Um, and so anyway, I, I do a lot of health and wellness work and everybody's like, I'm working on that. I'm working on that. I'm like, how about we play with that? You're like, we're playing on that because <laughs> you might as well be playing. So that's just my philosophy. And I find I can interject lighter words and it, it does change the feeling and the meaning. But just being that. Yes. So I will say that language is, is helpful and it is empowering. But for me, the real game here is the embodiment so that the language comes out no matter what the language is, it is a direct reflection of how you're feeling. Well, why can't you just so, transcend and include? What I'm saying is by saying I'm trying to do something, it's not about the language. It's about what's behind the language. What has somebody saying I'm trying? Are they actually attempting without the expectation of success? And if so, that's what we get to. That's what we get at. That's where the work is done. By changing the language, yeah, you're consciously redirecting those thoughts and attempting to restructure the habit and the and the the, the cause for the language in the first place so that you are in integrity with these, this new language. But if you're but embodied, language, if, if you're, you're embodied, the language, you're just going to, the language is going to change automatically. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, no, they go hand in hand. Hand in hand. In fact, embodiment would be to get to embodiment. Well, I would say the language you use is an important aspect to that. I mean, that, that's a real, amorphous concept of oh well just be it that that shit drives me crazy because it doesn't mean anything but I'm, just, I'm i'm being this no you're not you're being an asshole okay so being doesn't mean anything without actually it showing up in your actions your thoughts and your language that's all going to be part of the quote unquote being something is that it shows up in all other aspects of your being, which includes your thinking, which includes your speech, which includes your actions. So those are all evident of quote unquote, what or how you are being in the world. So they go hand in hand. And by transforming one's thoughts, by transforming 
one's actions by transforming one's speech, that is a transformation of being. So they go hand in hand. There is no separation like, oh, I'm just going to be this, but I'm not going to talk that way. No, 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 no. That, that's not being it then. That's just mental yeah, what, masturbation. What, what you're talking, me what playing you're... a game that I am something regardless of how I show up, regardless of how I think, regardless of how I speak. And that's not true. Yeah, you're talking and, about fragmentation. No, no, no. Listen, before you get into the, we get into NLP or something here. Okay. Um, so I'm going to end this, the ubiquitous, uh, what was it? Ubiquitous assimilation. And we can go into further conversations, but I feel like we've drawn this one to a conclusion. I feel like we're now heading in another direction. Uh, any final thoughts from you, Gingy, since this is your topic on any closers? Um, I would say for everybody to be present to what they are actively assimilating into who they are and their worldview and everything else whether it's quote-unquote vibrational, whether it's um, emotional, whether it's, you know, you're noticing thoughts popping up that you haven't thought about before you saw a commercial or had a conversation. Not that there's anything to specifically do about these things or to change about these things, but just to notice what is currently being assimilated. And in the practice of noticing we can begin to have a conversation about what's working and what's not working. And I will say good night and remember this resistance is futile.